The Reset Podcast is a show about fresh starts. In business, career, relationships, health, and life in general, sometimes we all go forward to a new square one. Every moment is a new opportunity to begin again, and my guests will tell you how, when, and why they decided to reset their lives. I'm Franklin Taggart. Welcome to The Reset Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Reset Podcast. My name is Franklin Taggart, and uh, my guest today is Chris Helwick. And I just met Chris a couple of weeks ago at a community meeting, and I found his story just to be really exciting and compelling. Um, welcome, Chris, and uh, we'll get into your story as, as we unfold this, but I'm really excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, um, you have been uh, an athlete for much of your life, and um, you went to the University of Tennessee, and you competed in decathlon. That's right. And uh, tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, how is it that you found track and field to be um, your, your primary focus in athletics? Hmm. Yeah, when I was growing up, uh, a lot of my athletic focus was split between soccer and, and track and field. Those were, those were kind of my two, uh, the, the two sports that I really gravitated towards. Um, I got involved with both of them at a fairly young age. You know, I started playing soccer when I was five years old, little Mighty Mites soccer leagues. Played it through high school. <clears throat> um, but I actually got involved in track and field at the age of nine in sort of a, a summer track league. Um, it's called Kara track. I think it's still, it still exists today. Um, but I, you know, I think that I gravitated towards track and field in particular because, um, well, for one, it gave me a nice balance from the team aspect of, of soccer, you know, soccer, very, very team oriented, organized sport. Track and field is more individualistic. And I, you know, I certainly couldn't have told you that at the time, that that's why I enjoyed doing it. But I do think that, you know, having, having my, desti my destiny in my own hands was very appealing to me. Um, and it's, it's one of those sports that, you know, there's no defense in track and field. Um, it's really just you. You're all, you're, you're, your biggest defender is you. It's your own mind. Yeah. And I, I think I liked the, um, you know, the challenge of having to um, o overcome myself in order to get better at what I was doing. And, and you, you found your way into the decathlon at some point, and I'm kind of curious, was that something that, uh, that appealed to you early on, or was that something that you kind of gradually eased into? Well, I... It was something that I discovered pretty late in my athletic career. Well, I, I don't know if I would say late. It was about halfway through uh, high school. Um, during my junior year, my, my track coach, it was Marty Nybauer, um, <clears throat> he told me about the decathlon. And I, I had never heard of the decathlon before until he told me about it. Um, he was a former decathlete himself at the University of New Mexico. And so he always kind of had an eye for, for athletes who showed some promise in um in doing the multi-events but so when he posed it to me you know i was I, for one i was just amazed that there was a track and field event that i hadn't heard of 
And so that was pretty cool. Um, I was kind of blossoming as an athlete and then probably like as, as a teenager at this point. So I was pretty, um, I was pretty excited about track and field and I was starting to do more and more events. Um, I I'd started out just as a high jumper. Like when I was young, high jumping was what I'd love to do. That's really all I did for the first couple of years in high school. Yeah. Then I started to branch out in some other events and I was doing well at them. And then when my coach said I could do 10 events instead of four, I thought, well, Hey, that's, that sounds pretty good to me. I'd, you know, I'd like to try that. Yeah. But it was a pretty easy sell. Like I felt like I got into it really quickly once he brought it to my attention, but I, it was just something I didn't, I didn't even know it existed until I was about 17 years old. Yeah. So you grew up in Greeley, Colorado. Yep. And which high school did you go to? It's Greeley Central. Okay. All right. Yeah. I would have gone to West had I stayed there. I went to junior high school in Greeley. Oh, did you? Yeah, a long time ago. Where'd you go? Did you go to John Evans? John Evans, yeah. 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 Back when it was a school. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's just a, just a, an abandoned field now. Completely vaporized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, growing up in Greeley, um, did you find that uh, the athletic programs there were, you know, did you find that they prepared you um, real well for uh, a future in athletics? Yeah, I really, I really did. <clears throat> yeah, that's an interesting question. But I felt like, you know, looking back at my childhood athletic experiences now, the age of 33, after all I've gone through, um, knowing what else is was out there, like comparing my experiences to a lot of my my friends and um, teammates' experiences, I had a really good one. Um, I had good coaches. I, I had a lot of opportunity. Um, I, I would have to credit my parents in a, an immense amount for, you know, sort of putting me in the right situations, um, encouraging, encouraging me to, to the right degree, you know, like recognizing that I, I really enjoyed athletics. So giving me those opportunities without, you know, pushing me so hard that it, it gave me a bad taste for it. Um, but yeah, I really have, I, I mean, I can, I can, I can give you an examples how like every coach along the way helped me progress to the next step um, that eventually led to me, you know, trying to be an Olympic decathlete. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to that story here in just a minute. Um, in sure. the meantime, we need to talk about your, your college experience at the University of Tennessee. Uh, how was yeah. it that you chose Tennessee or did it choose you? Uh, yeah, it goes a little bit of both ways. Um, you know, I, I have to say that one of the criteria that I had um, for myself in choosing a college was that it had to be so far away that you couldn't drive there. Like I, 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 I lived in this in the same town for the first 18 years of my life. And, you know, I had nothing but positive experiences, but I was just ready to go see something new and find some independence. So for one, I, I kind of had this, this idea that I wanted to go far away from home. Um, the, the other element of this was that, um, university of Tennessee, 
amongst um, a number of other schools across the country has a really strong tradition in, in decathlon. So when I was looking for schools, um, I, I was specifically looking for a track and field program that would um, kind of cater to a decathlete who, who would help develop a decathlete. That's, I knew that's what I wanted to do. But Tennessee fit the bill for that. Um, I, you know, it's, it, it's a fairly typical story, I feel like. Um, you know, I went there for a, for a visit, and I just felt like I, I fit in really well there. Um, people were awesome. I, I was excited to be on the track team, and it, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty easy fit. Knoxville's a great town, too. Yeah, absolutely. Big river running right through it. I was like, yeah. that, was, that, was, that was pretty cool for me. So you were there for your full four years of uh, undergrad, and um, you competed all four years? I did. Okay. Yeah. And that first time around, did you, uh, did you have sights on the Olympics at that time too? When I first got to Tennessee, I, I don't think that that was anywhere on my radar. <clears throat> when, when I got there, I, I was pretty wide eyed. You know, I was, I was, you know, I, I had confidence in myself that I, could be, you know, a contributing member of this team, like I deserve to be there. But at the same time, it was at a whole nother level. Um, I, I got there and there were just, um, you know, so many stellar athletes on the team. I, I was pretty humbled when I got there. So really what was on my mind was just, you know, let's, um, how do you, how do you raise your, your level of performance to, to at least meet eye to eye with these other guys on the team. That's, that's really what was going through my mind. Right. And then, um, after you graduated, you came back to Colorado. Is that right? You no, know, I actually, I stayed, I stayed in the Southeast for about 12 years after oh, college. Um, once I graduated, I, I moved to Winston-Salem, North Carolina to train at Wake Forest university. Mm-hmm. Uh, to continue my track and field career. That's, that was really where I um, broke off and w- was going for the Olympic dream after college. And it, it's kind of a funny story. The, um, <clears throat> so to, to bring you full circle here and go back to one of your questions, one of the guys who was really instrumental in my athletic development growing up was a man named Scott Hall. Mm-hmm. He was the um, he was the head track and field coach at UNC University of Northern Colorado when I was growing up, and he just happened to be the coach of this um, this summer track program that I was involved with as well, Caratrack. Mm-hmm. And he, him and his wife ran it during the summertime, <clears throat> and he he was always just like a really. Uh, influential guy in my life. He was a mentor for me. Um, he helped helped me develop in terms of my skill set in track and field. He encouraged me to stick with it and just kind of like develop at the right pace, sort of thing. He was just always in the background of my life. Um, and he even helped me a little bit during high school. Um, we just <clears throat> we would we would cross paths every so often. Mm-hmm. Well, the same year that I went to Tennessee as, as a freshman in college, he ended up taking a job 
at Wake Forest uh, University to be a track coach as well. And so we, we just kind of kept in contact as, as we both moved to the east, to the southeast. And once my four years were up at, at the University of Tennessee, I knew for sure that I wanted to continue my track and field career. Yeah. I, I, just, I just felt like there was, there was more potential in me. I, I, felt, I felt like my, my best days were still yet to come, and I wanted to see what those looked like. And so when I was thinking about, you know, where I would go, what I would, what I would do, you know, Scott Hall immediately came to mind and um, we ended up, you know, forming a, forming a partnership and, and I moved out to, to train with him. He had a, he had a couple other decathletes that were training with him as well. So there was a nice training group. Um, it was a good atmosphere and it was just, it was really cool to come full circle with him and, um, you know, finish up my last, what I thought were my last five years of track and field with, with a guy who had really been there from the very, very beginning. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you trained there for the next five years. I did. Okay. Mm -hmm. And at some point you went into business for yourself. That's right. Yeah. And, um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. You know, my, my five years, after college competing, um, it was it was one of those things where I, a couple of years out, I could see where it was going to end. Uh, I was really in <clears throat> probably early 2011 when I knew that 2012 was going to be my last year. And there's, you know, there, there's a whole story behind that as well. But I, I just, I just knew that I wanted to um, continue my training and competing through 2012, give the Olympics one, one last shot in 2012. And if it, you know, if it happened, fantastic. And if it didn't, well, then I was going to make, I was going to make a clean break from the sport. Right. Um, the, the latter is what ended up happening, but knowing that that was going to be the end point one way or the other, I, I began to put some pieces into place um, for what would happen next in my life. And <clears throat> I, I'd studied economics in undergrad. Um, I ended up getting an MBA um, while I was competing in those five years after college. Um, and I was just really, I was really gung ho to try to, start to go into business for myself and, and start working for myself. Um, I didn't really have like a passion project mm -hmm. per se, but I was certainly passionate about trying to be a, a, an entrepreneur and, and starting something. So um, yeah, a, a couple of years before I retired in, in 2012, uh, an old college teammate of mine, we, we hatched out a business plan. He was kind of in the same mindset that I was. He, he was interested in working for himself and, yeah. We, we, we hatched out a, a business plan for a marketing and advertising company and began putting the, the pieces in place uh, just a little bit before I'd retired so that as soon as that happened, um, I, I moved back to Knoxville and we, we jumped right in, right into business. Okay. And so you were in marketing and advertising for how long? Uh, that was for another five years. Okay. Actually, yeah. Um, based out of Knoxville and working all around the, the state of Tennessee. 
All right. And going back to your prior training with uh, in 2012, you said you were uh, you were shooting for a, an Olympics uh, tryout. And did you make it that far at that time? Um, I, I did. I in 2012, I competed in the uh, U.S. Olympic trials mm -hmm. uh, where I finished fifth. Um, the, the, the top three. Uh, in, in the event, go to the Olympics. So I was, I was a couple shots or a couple places shy. Um, but I, I did give it one last go. I, I competed in the 2008 U S trials as well, um, okay. where I finished seventh. All right. So top 10, both times, but not quite enough for the top three. Yeah, that's right. And then, um, at some point you moved back to Greeley and started working with the econ economic development <laughs> Excuse me while I stumble, stumble here. Uh, Economic Development Office, and um, mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about what precipitated that move? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so after after about five years in in business for myself and in marketing and advertising, um, I realized that it really wasn't something I was passionate about. And, you know, what got me in, into it in the first place was just being in business for myself. And, and that was genuine. Um, but once like the, the power of that wore off and I was just, I was, I was left with trying to grow this, this business, I, I kind of came face to face with this important lesson that um, it's just, it's really important to care about the business that you're running yeah. or else it makes it very difficult. Um, and, and I recognized that I just, it, it wasn't something that got me excited. And so I knew, I knew I had to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really know what else to do. So I, I thought, well, why don't I just move to Australia for a year and I will go, go down there and do a little walkabout, uh, try to get my head right and then figure out, figure out what the next move is. Um, I, I'm really glad I did that. Uh, it, it was it was really beneficial to just have some some time and space to to sort of let your thoughts reorganize. I, I think that I was I was trying to force a new life path for myself when I was still in in, in business. The business was called InSpot Media. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was really trying to force you know, my next move. And, and that was, it just wasn't working out well. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I gave myself some space to think about it. And really what, um, what came about was from living in, in another country in a place that was very, um, well, I mean, it's, it's a foreign country. You're the, the culture is different. Um, you're just, you're just out of your comfort zone a lot of times. I mean, Australia is still a, you know, first world English speaking, westernized culture, but um, it was different enough, you know, and, and I started to get this hankering for something much more familiar. And I, I never thought that I would move back to Colorado, to be honest with you. I mean, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, that's like, that's where my parents live. I can't, I can't move back there. Right? <laughs> no, but I, I. I started to get this hankering for something more familiar. Um, you know, I certainly was maturing in, in such a way that, you know, allowed me to you know, live closer to family and, um, and, and still maintain that sense of independence. 
And so when I decided to move back to Colorado, that's when I thought, okay, what would I do in Colorado? That was really, that was, that was what forced me to move out of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and economic development was just something that, that I felt, um, that I felt w- would suit me well based on my, my experience and my interests. And, you know, a big part of it was that, um, you know, I won't go off on too much of a tangent here, but one of the things that you absolutely must do when running your own business is you must um, uh, be a good networker. Mm-hmm. You've got to be good at meeting people, communicating what you do, and um, you know, figuring out if there's some common ground there. Right. That was something I had to learn as an absolute novice when I first got into business. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't really know the value of it. Um, I took that skill with me to Australia where I, I really went on this like networking rampage in this, in this city where I knew absolutely no one. And, and I, and I felt like if I, I, I felt like I'd sp- literally, literally spent a decade trying to figure out how to be a good networker, that that was a skill that I could bring with me to my next occupation. Um, and so you sort of combine, um, networking with an interest in business development with a familiarity of you know where you're living Colorado Greeley and you know I I put those things together and I felt like economic was economic development was just a good fit for me at that time Mm -hmm. well at some point you started to get the dream again of going back into competition and can you tell us about what precipitated that (laughs) Yeah, um, this is <clears throat> so. No, no one is more surprised that I'm doing this than me. Honestly, I just never, never thought I would. Um, <clears throat> but this is, you know, this is again. This is a little bit of a story here. Um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just take you back a little bit and try to put this all together. It was, it was February of 2015. Uh, it, it was the 15th of the month. I remember the day exactly. Uh, I was in Santa Cruz, California for a friend's wedding. And a group of about a dozen of us were walking home uh, from a restaurant one night. It was, it was our final night in the city. And, and somebody made a comment about the way I walked. And now people have been making comments about the way I've walked for my entire life. I, I've, I've heard these since I was in elementary school. But I, I guess I never really paid much attention to them um, because they're all almost half complimentary. It was like, yeah, you know, Chris has got kind of a funny walk, but I like it sort of thing. Um, so, and, and I was an athlete. Like I had much better things to think about than the way that I walked. I, was, I had to, you know, I had to learn how to run, jump and throw. And mm-hmm. anyways, in 2015, three years after I retired from track and field and sports altogether, I guess I had a little headspace to think about the way I walked. And I just, for whatever reason, like this comment just stuck in my head. Um, I really wanted to know what other people saw in the way that I walked that I couldn't recognize because I, I just didn't, I mean, walking felt as normal as can be to me. So, <clears throat> um, you know, it, without intention, this is this just kind of happened. I developed this obsession with trying to figure out how I moved, hmm. whether it was walking, 
or running or what my posture was like. I just became very, very interested in that. And so over the course of the next couple of years, I, I, you know, just totally in private and for no other reason than just to satisfy my own curiosity, I went about this endeavor to figure out how I moved. And, you know, I guess, I guess to make, uh, <clears throat> to cut to the chase a little bit, it was, it was this um, sort of experiment, th- this, this inquiry into the way that I moved that really helped me reconnect with the, the athlete inside me. When, it, when I was finishing up my decathlon career, um, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I really wasn't very happy. I, I, w- I lived in a state of dissatisfaction. And one of, one of the biggest reasons for that was because I had held, I had held this, um, this goal of, of achieving the, Olymp- the Olympic dream, going to the Olympics as the thing that would um, mark my career as successful. Mm-hmm. And I really lost touch with this innate love of athletics that I'd had my entire life. And, you know, it it was, I, you know, it was, it was, it was always there. I always loved doing what I was doing, but it was shrouded by this immense pressure to be successful. And so when I was examining, you know, the way that I moved, the way that I walked, the way that I ran, you know, I was, I was, I was getting back in touch with, with that athlete in me. I loved athletic movement and, and now I could explore it without any pressure whatsoever of having to be successful at anything. This was, this was purely for my, for my own joy. Mm-hmm. And just over the months and over the years, this, this continued. I mean, almost nightly I would go out and walk and I would just observe the way that I moved. And I, I slowly began to try to alter it and improve it. And it just, it just became this snowball that just ran away. And one day, you know, so you can extrapolate this over time. And one day I really woke up and I realized that through this experience, I'd become the best athlete I'd ever been. Hmm. I, I had, I had unlocked potential that I'd never had access to before. And the years of reflection that occurred after my retirement allowed me to gain a new, more objective perspective on athletics as a whole. Hmm. And you put those two things together, this, this brand new perspective, this new appreciation for being, you know, a physical body, an, an athletic body. I just knew that I could do the whole thing again in a much smarter, more intelligent and better way. Yeah. And, and I felt compelled to do it. I felt like I had to do it. And that's, that's really where you find me today. That's amazing. So now you've decided to go back into competition. Yeah. And um, so you're, you're training now for uh, the next Olympic trials that will be coming up when? Next Olympic trials will be um, June of 2020. Okay. Yep. And then the, the Olympics, I believe, are going to be in August of 2020. Right. And um, so in between now and then, you've got a lot of uh, training to do. 
but it sounds like that you're coming into this new situation with a whole lot more insight about how your body works and about how you can really get the best performance uh, from yourself. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of test my own hypothesis that I can do this in a much smarter, better and, and healthier way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm also very excited to be working with younger athletes who, who I can try to impart some of this, this wisdom onto them as well. That's, that's what, um, you know, makes working with CSU so exciting for me is I, I get to work with their track team. I get to train with one of their, their post-collegiate decathletes, um, Hunter Price, who's a very promising young decathlete himself. And, and kind of having that, that mentor role is, um, it, it's just as important to me as the actual training and, and competing. Yeah. And going to the decathlon now, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, 10 events, and usually they're spread out over a couple of days at least, right? That's right. It's over two days. Okay. And uh, of those 10 events, uh, do you have, uh, you, you said you started out as a high jumper. Is that still uh, among your favorite uh, events in the decathlon or is it, has it been replaced by something else? Uh, it's, it's definitely up there. Yeah. No, I still love, I still love high jumping. Yeah. But which, there's, there's a couple other favorites. Which ones? Yeah. So I, yeah, the pole vault is by far just, it's the most exhilarating event. Were you surprised uh, by that? I was, a, I was surprised by that, I would say, because that I started that event pretty late in my career. I didn't start, I didn't even attempt that event until very late in my junior year of high school, <clears throat> um, as opposed to when I was nine for high jumping. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was an event that I picked up um, pretty quickly and, and took to really well. I, another event that I really enjoy is the javelin. Okay. And that's kind of in a similar vein. I didn't, I didn't try that until much later in my career. It's not even contested or it wasn't contested in Colorado when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that, that is those two, I, I would say are, are two of my top favorite. Have those been among the most challenging to learn? The pole vault without a doubt is the most challenging to learn. Yeah. Um, you know, that every decathlete kind of has their own strengths and weaknesses. And so there's certain events that we, we all struggle to develop in. Um, you know, for me, the hurdles have always been kind of an, an Achilles heel yeah. and you know, it, that's a fairly technical event as well, but you know, that that's just sort of unique to me and that that's been a challenge. Uh, do you find that your height, does your height play into the challenge of that? Cause you're, in, in the hurdle. you're, you're taller than most of the hurdlers that I know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm, I'm, I'm a little taller than your average decathlete. Yeah. Decathletes are pretty tall guys, but I'm, I'm a little taller than them and certainly taller than hurdlers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is an advantage to have a higher center of gravity in, okay. in the hurdles. Um, you know, you've, you've got to, you've got to raise your center of gravity to clear a hurdle. There aren't many people in the world who have a center of gravity that's higher than the 42 inch barrier of the hurdle. I certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> But 
over the next couple of years, then um, you're going to be training hard and getting ready for the trials in June of 2020. Um, That's right. And is there a way that people can keep track of your training and your progress and hear updates as to uh, what's going on and uh, as you re-enter this world of competition? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the best way to keep up to date with what I'm doing and how it's going is to go to chrishelwick.com. That's just my personal website where um, I really plan on telling a very open and candid story about how this goes. You know, I, as I said, it's very important for me um, to, to share the knowledge and the wisdom that I've learned. Um, I, I want to share the experiences that I'm going to have over the next two years, whether, whether they're, you know, um, sort, of, sort of like happy experiences or troubling experiences. I mean, I'm going to have both. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to I share that whole thing. So people can definitely find a, uh, a candid story at chrishelic.com. Who are the athletes that you really look to for inspiration? Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, there's, um, th- there are a number of them, man, where to, where to begin? <laughs> um, you know, for, for one, I've, I've got some good friends who are, who are athletes. I've just, you know, I kind of run in those circles. So I know some, um, some athletes, for example, um, th- there's a man named Aries Merritt, who's the world record holder in the, in the 110 hurdles. Uh, I, I've known Aries since we, we went to college together. We were in the same class at uh, University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So he's my same age. He's 33, and he's still doing it. Yeah. And, he, and he didn't take six years off like I did. I mean, Aries is a very impressive guy. He even had a kidney transplant several years ago. Wow. Uh, I, I just, re- I really look up to him because he, he has an incredible mentality about what he's doing. I mean, he's, he's incredibly focused, of course, but he just has like this innate confidence in, in his ability. And he is, he's humble. Um, you know, if you know, know anything about his personal story, um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it, it's really, um, it's, it's really cool. He's just an impressive guy. Okay. Um, what else can I tell you? I, I guess at this point in my life, I look up to a lot of older athletes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm reading the Tom Brady book right now. <laughs> I, I, I really look up to him and, um, you know, his longevity is incredibly impressive. Um, LeBron James, I hit him as well. He's, he's competed at this incredible, incredibly high level for all these years. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess longevity in athletics is something that really catches my eye these days, these days. As it should, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it sounds like to me that, uh, you're going to have a story to tell as well. And, uh, chrishelwick.com is going to be the website where people can find out more about your story and the things that unfold for you in the next year or so. Um, I appreciate your time today, Chris. This has been a fascinating conversation and I do wish you the very best of fortunes in all of this. I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be inspiring, however it goes, um, just to see you get out there again and, uh, really make something happen. So, uh, thank you for sharing that story with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Franklin. It's I've, I've enjoyed it. 
been a real pleasure. Uh, again, chrishelwick.com for more information about Chris and his uh, burgeoning career uh, coming back into the athletic scene. And uh, thank you for listening to the Reset Podcast. Um, we'll be coming up with more uh, in the next few weeks, and we'd invite you to subscribe just so you don't miss a thing. Uh, I'm Franklin Taggart, and uh, I appreciate you listening. Thanks for taking the time to listen to, subscribe, and review the Reset Podcast. The Reset Podcast features interviews, insights, and in-depth reflections that will help you navigate your own fresh start. If you'd like to be a guest or share an idea for a topic you'd like to hear about, please contact podcast at franklintaggart.com. I offer a wide range of services to people who are ready to live with clear direction, new possibilities, greater freedom, and unlimited creativity. If you're looking for a new beginning, I'm available to help you. More information is available at franklintaggart.com. The Reset Podcast is a production of Franklin Taggart and Make Your Own Way Media. All rights reserved. <laughs>